Welcome to this week's episode of the Dirty Chai podcast with me, your host, Chio. And this week we're talking about a topic that is arguably one of the most uncomfortable as far as career is concerned, and that's money. One cannot really claim to have a conversation, a holistic conversation about personal and professional success and not talk about money because that's what we do it for. And I know that there is purpose and I know that there is fulfillment, but nobody is fulfilled or purposeful with an empty stomach. And that's where the money comes in. It's, like I said, a very uncomfortable topic and I'm by no means an expert on the subject. But I talk about things that I not only know, I also talk about things that I am learning. If I were to stick to talking to and about the things I know in full already, um, I would have very little to talk about. So while I'm figuring it out, let's talk about it. While I'm figuring it out, let's talk about the parts that I have figured out. While I'm figuring it out, let's talk about the things that I've experienced. And perhaps you've experienced those things too. Perhaps you've grown in that direction. Perhaps you are in the same place. Perhaps you are a little behind or a little ahead. But either way, each story moves us all forward. So I learned in my early 20s, I was orphaned in my uh, my early 20s, which I may or may not have already said on the podcast. And I learned hard and fast that it's a luxury to say, oh, I don't do it for the money. When you are left destitute, when you are left with not a single rand dollar to your name and you need to eat and you have siblings to look after, money matters a lot. And money matters a lot, too, when your dying mother realizes that she's about to leave her three children with nothing at all because she thought she had more time. And the reason I share these things is so that you're aware that these things happen and so that you prepare so that those things do not happen to you. So now let's talk about money. We're going to talk about two, two aspects of money. One is your remuneration as far as your employment is concerned. The second is keeping the money that you've earned once you've earned it. So first, remuneration. Now, <laughs> when I went for my first job interview, I went to a, a firm and the lovely HR manager, they asked me at the end of the interview, so how much would you like to get paid? I had zero experience at this time. This was my first in-depth job interview. It was also the first one where it was apparent that I was going to get the job. Um, and I didn't know that generally when they figure out that they like you, then they move on to the money question. I hadn't worked out that you could Google these things back then. I stuttered, I hemmed and hoed. I really didn't know what to say. I just went round and round in circles. And she waited patiently for me to finish. Uh, when I finished, she scribbled in her notebook and carried on with her life. Then the interview ended. Um, she called me back the next week and she said she would like to have a second interview. And I went. This time I was interviewed by a different director and the same HR manager. At the end of the interview, the director who was interviewing me then says, how much would you like to get paid? And the HR manager jumped in and answered for me here and said, she has no idea. I already asked her this. She has no idea. I already asked her this. I might have been inexperienced and naive, but that hit a nerve. I sensed very strongly that I should have known at the very least what it was I could expect to be paid. But anyway, so I start the job. I had many things to worry about at that point. 
raising my siblings, trying to put some food in my stomach, clothes on my back, etc., etc. I felt the pain of not knowing, but I didn't learn the lesson. And as happens with the universe and the lessons that we refuse to learn, I got stung, didn't learn, so I got stung again. Fast forward to maybe five, six, seven years later, I'm far more experienced. I'm in my next job. I am being headhunted by a listed entity and I was invited to coffee. When I was, and this, this, at this point, <laughs> again, I didn't recognize the fact that, or didn't know that interviews as you progress, as you become more senior, tend to look less and less like the traditional thing. So when you're invited to a coffee date, that is very much an interview. So off I total to the coffee date and I have coffee with the person who would have been, um, the one person who I would have been coming in to replace. We have a lovely chat. And then at the end of the chat, he says, so how much would you like to get paid? And this man is in his early 60s, has been doing the, the role that he's interviewing me for. And the man has seen some things, right? And he's got a very calm air about him. How much would you like to get paid? That question has circled back seven years later. And I'm not ready again. How shocking. <laughs> anyway, so he sits back and he waits. Again, I stutter. I hem. I hope I go this way. I go this way. Um, I give a sense of what I'm earning and, 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 and an approximation of how much I think would be good if we increase by. And so it goes and so it goes. And he waits patiently. He does not say a word while I stutter from Timbuktu to Harare. When finally I stop talking, he takes a sip of his tea and then <laughs> he says, Money in the context of a salary is an uncomfortable topic. I understand that. It's an uncomfortable topic for most people. That is the reality. However, that does not in any way diminish the value and necessity of knowing how much you should be earning fairly. The key word is fair. That's all he said to me on the subject. But it's stayed with me in an entirely different way than the first uh, statement stayed with me. The first statement made by the HR manager at my first job. You see, we're not talking here about the vague notion of knowing your worth that is thrown around when people discuss lovers that are bad for them. We're talking about doing the market research and understanding what a person with your experience, taking into, a, into account the quality of that experience, qualifications and specialized knowledge or lack thereof, should be earning in a particular industry. We are talking specifics not ideals. This allows you, knowing these things allows you to fully assess your current situation, to understand how much over or under the market your current employer has pegged you, to understand whether there is room for growth where you are and to plan how to get to that growth, to understand that the market forces that influence how much you have in your pocket, like a particular type of accreditation or membership, and to understand what those are and to affect those in order to aid you in improving your financial pro prospects, is to be able to answer the question, how much you would, would you like to earn when it is posed by a prospective employer and be able to articulate why in a way that a person who understands that confidence and humility are not mutually exclusive would fully grasp. This is what you are required to do. 
you are required to research, understand. So, so let's make, put this in practical terms. I am many things uh, professionally. I'm a, I'm a chartered company secretary. I am a regulatory law specialist. I am a corporate law specialist, right? I am a compliance specialist. I have a, a, a particular skill with gambling law and anti-money laundering, um, anti-money laundering legislation. These are my specialties. It is important for me to understand. If I say I know how much I'm worth in the market, it is important for me to understand what a typical anti-money laundering expert is getting because my skill set is eclectic. It's important for me to understand what a, what a group company secretary is earning, what a group company secretary is earning in a private company versus in a listed company. It's important for me to understand what an anti-money laundering person is earning in an accountable institution versus in an institution that is not classified as accountable. When I call myself a gambling law specialist, it's important for me to understand what a person sitting as in-house legal in a gambling entity, depending on the type of gambling, is earning. Typically, it's important for me to understand what qualifications those people are sitting with, what makes them special, what makes them tick. When, we, when a person is said to have a lot of experience, how much experience is that exactly and how much do I have relative to that experience? It's understanding whether when I say I am really good at company, company law or I'm a corporate law specialist, when I engage with people who also purport to be company law specialists, how do I fare? Am I right? Do I know what I'm saying? Are my, are my qualifications up to date? Am I au fait with how the industries um, in which I'm, I am supposed to be an expert are improving and changing? What has changed recently in the landscape? Am I on top of it? Am I, am I current in my knowledge and skill set? Am I actively practicing all of these skills I purport to have? Am I on top of my game? Now, supposing that I am on top of my game, now, what then should I be earning? Am I sitting at the top or at the bottom or in the middle of the market as far as my skill set, my knowledge, my exposure, and my ability to solve a problem is concerned? Once I understand that, I am then able to peg what I should be earning according to people who are similarly situated, right? Or alternatively, according to what I think I fairly need to earn, but that fairness must be evidenced by what the research is showing you. So you've looked at pay scale, you've talked to other people and what they're earning, you've reached out to HR managers at various companies, you have pegged yourself somewhere. And then based on that information, when you engage with your employer, either for the purpose of getting an increase or for the purpose of getting a job and therefore negotiating your salary, you're not going in there blind saying, I know my worth, but let me see what they offer me. No, it's I know my worth. And I'm going to accept an offer in this range. This is my preferred. I would negotiate down to this, but I will certainly not go below this. That is what you need to do. You need to be ready and you need to be informed. After then, <laughs> now that you've, you've worked out how much you're worth and added tax, since we are speaking in um, social media parlance, now that you know what, how much you're worth, and you've added tax, and someone has agreed to pay you this. Now you're earning this salary on a monthly basis. What happens now to the money that you're earning? It is very, very important that you keep more than you spend. It seems obvious, doesn't it? 
But the way life is going, the way we are operating in a cost of living crisis, the way we, the way adulting happens and surprises happen, if you are not conscious about these things, if you are not purposeful about keeping more than you earn and growing what you keep, it is likely that you could work your whole life and have little to nothing to show for it. And I don't say this from a place of judgment. If you think about it, it's only in the 1970s, which is maybe 10 years ago, that women in England were permitted by law to open a bank account without their husband. It's only 10 years ago. Uh, no, no, not 10 years ago. Jesus Christ, I'm old. Anyway, it's only in the 1970s. Only 10 years before I was born is what I was going to say. Only 10 years before I was born. That is not that long ago. We are the first generation in a lot of ways to either have been born free or born just about free and then been raised with options to rise to the levels that we are rising in corporate. The result of this or the effect of this is we are also the generation that is both the traveler and the map maker, to use Brene Brown's description. We don't know this territory. Our parents were not in this territory for most of us. And so we don't have institutional knowledge that has been passed down on how to, to thrive here. We have to figure it out. And that includes thriving with the earnings that you then make. So now you've got this great job and you've got this great salary. What do you do with it? And because we are the traveler and the map maker, we have to lean on the knowledge that those who have gone before us, people of other races, people who have been in these spaces long before we were allowed to be in these spaces, have written books about these things, have YouTube channels about these things. There is information out there. So rather than saying, oh, um, it's not my fault that we never saw this. It's not my fault that this, this, this. You want to take radical personal responsibility for your finances because what you want to do is to make sure that your kids don't go through the same difficulty. Is to make sure that whatever you build, your the next generation will build on top of and take it further. That means you have to power empower yourself so that the children and the people who come after you see you and they have a framework, see you, and they understand what it looks like to build wealth, what it looks like to be the first one somewhere and to work things out without waiting for somebody to come and rescue you. Um, our parents did the best that they could here. You see, our parents learned that it was education that will take you somewhere, right? And those parents then put us all through the schools. A lot of us are far more educated than majority of our parents' generation ever were. And that is our parents' way of putting us slightly higher, giving us a slight advantage at the beginning, a greater advantage than what they had when they started. Ours is to figure out the ropes and to give our children an additional advantage to take them further and even to create an advantage for ourselves. If you think about it, a lot of why we as a generation are, playing, are paying black tax, uh, taking care of the older generations is because they didn't have the capacity to prepare for their retirement. They didn't have maybe even the means to prepare their, for their retirement. 
by educating you and putting you in these spaces where you have the ability to earn a significant amount of money, they have given you the ability to ensure that this particular baton that was passed on to you does not need to be passed on to your children based on the decisions that you make. We only know so much, but we need to learn intentionally. The information is up there, out there. All you really need to do is keep more than you spend. And that means reading, listening to podcasts, engaging meaningfully with people on money and understanding it, being less afraid of the topic, being less uncomfortable with the topic. I am 38 and I've only in the last couple of years started actively working on my financial literacy. I've always had a, a sound basis for understanding money because, like I said, I was orphaned early and I, and I very quickly became the breadwinner. But I needed to understand how to not just survive, how to be able to put aside a little, how to be able to, how to think so that I can build wealth. And you would think that having gone through hardship and navigated my, my siblings through it, somehow I've got the cheat code. I know how it works. But when I started informing myself, when I started reading all of these financial literacy books, some of which are great, others are mediocre. So everything from The Millionaire Next Door, the books I've read this year, I don't know if I can remember the ones from prior. The Millionaire Next Door, Think and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, essentialism, all of the books that have pointed me towards financial literacy on YouTube. I, I follow the financial tortoise. I follow quite a few people. I think Gabe Belt, if I'm saying his name correctly, I also follow him. And what I have learned from those few resources, just those five resources has been life-changing. It's understanding the concept of debt. It's understanding the concept of an asset and a liability. See, a lot of us think when you buy a house, you have an asset. But the definition of an asset is something that puts money in your pocket, not takes money out of it. And for most of us, the house that you live in is one that you are paying for. That is not an asset or certainly not an asset yet. That was a realization from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Blew my mind. Because, I mean, we've always been told that when you buy a house, you buy an asset. Uh, immovable property is an asset where you purchases, purchase it for the purpose of making an income. So the house I live in is not an asset, but the apartment that I buy to rent out, that is an asset. And that's the cornerstone of rich dad, poor dad. And understanding that put a different fire in me to figure out my life and start acquiring assets because what I thought was an asset is not an asset. We all know that a car is not an asset. We all know these things, but some of the things that we know, we know on a colloquial level, and we haven't taken the time to fully understand the concept for the purpose of building our wealth and creating a new generation of wealth for our families and beyond. And that's what we then need to do. It's all well and good to say, I want the career and to thrive in that career. But can you say you've been successful in your career if you get to 65 and you need someone to take care of you because you don't have a single cent to your name? I don't think so. I really do not think so. And I think this segues nicely into a story that Shonda Rhimes tells in her book, Year of Yes. 
she wasn't talking about finances, but it comes to me often when I'm thinking about financial things or when I'm feeling peer pressure to purchase something that I really shouldn't purchase, right? So um, she loved, Shonda loved Whitney Houston's hair. So Whitney Houston had a particular hairstyle that was trending at that time. And she would be pictured in her on her posters and on her records with this hairstyle that Shonda was really, really into. And Shonda, every day, she was in high school, I think, would spend hours and hours in front of the mirror trying to twist her hair this way and that way to match Whitney's hair. And she would think, I just wish my hair looked exactly like Whitney's. I really wish my hair looked like Whitney's. Um, and she tried, and she tried, and she tried, and she tried, and it just... She just couldn't stick it. And then one day she went to the salon, um, very frustrated. Um, and the stylist is working on her hair. And she says, you know, she can't wait for the day that her hair can look like Whitney Houston's hair. And the hairstylist quite, quite nonchalantly says, oh, you know, that's a wig, right? A wig, she thought. She was shattered by the realization. Shattered by the number of times she had burnt her fingers trying to twist her hair into this hairstyle. She was shattered by the number of times she had got frustrated and thought herself not beautiful and thought her hair not beautiful and just thought, why can I not get this right? What Whitney seems to get it right 100% of the time. Is she not a black woman like me? Does she not have hair like mine? Why does my hair not bend to this shape? And the realization that it's a wig. It's a wig. It's not her hair would have freed her so much sooner had she realized that. And when, it, when she realized it in that salon, she cried, uh, much to the confusion of the hairstylist. But it's the realization that it's not her. She is not the reason that her hair does not bend into this shape. Her hair does not bend into this shape, and Whitney's hair does not bend into that shape. And we need to understand, especially when it comes to finances, that we need to be very careful of looking at people from the outside in. When you look at people and you think, oh my gosh, I wish I could be like that, I could do this, I wish I could do this much, you don't know what the person's personal financial journey looks like. You don't know what they're sacrificing and not sacrificing. You don't know that the successful mining engineer who drives a Mercedes or an Audi has opted not to buy a new car for 10 years and has just taken care of the car that she's had for a really long time. And she puts that money that she saves from those installments to investments and buying assets. You don't know that. You look at her and you think, I want to drive a Mercedes like her. When you look at somebody who has multiple designer items and you think, gosh, I want to be like them, you don't know whether that is bought with credit card debt or not. When you look at a person and think, oh, geez, they're really tra they travel a lot. Um, you don't know. For example, I travel a lot, but I am ruthlessly frugal with everything else. Everything else. I have adopted uh, Ramit Sethi's approach to wealth. His book is called I Will Make You Rich. I forgot to mention that one earlier. And in his um, theory, and there are many theories of finance, in his theory of finance, fi building, building wealth, uh, building financial wealth, you select the one thing that you really, really enjoy that enriches your life. And that's the thing that you spend on. Everything else you are ruthlessly frugal with. And that's what I've chosen to do. I've chosen to indulge my love of travel. And I do so once, twice, three times a year maximum. But every other thing, 
I spend little to nothing on as far as indulgences are concerned. You won't find me buying a bottle in the club. You won't find me bri- buying. Uh, you won't find me driving the latest make of car. You won't find me living in a in a particularly Lani neighborhood. I just live in a in a in a medium neighborhood where I am happy. This is how I balance out my financial affairs. But when you see me posting on Instagram at a particular location, you don't know any of this. You don't know what my wig looks like. And that is a very important thing to understand because your finances are your personal issue. Your finances are your personal responsibility. It is not about that person or this person or that, um, that look. It is not about any of that. It is entirely about your value system, what is important to you, what you would like to build, what legacy you would like to leave. And those things together then say to you, this is what's important to me and this is what my wig is going to look like and boy, do I look cute in it. You see, to sum up, you want your success to look like a successful career. A successful career looks like making money from that career plus fulfillment, plus purpose, but you need to be making money. Otherwise, what is it for? (laughs) What is it for? And when you are sound in your financial decision-making, as you progress in your career and you become more secure financially, you find that there's a particular kind of alchemy that comes with financial literacy and financial security. You are able to negotiate. You're able to take bigger risks. You're able to take a firmer stand when you're engaging with your employer. You are not held at gunpoint because if you lose your salary this month, life is over for you next month. There's a reel doing the rounds on Instagram that goes something like... If you are to lose your salary today, how long could you live? I could probably last until Sunday. Makes me laugh every time. But it's also eerily close to what life looks like for most of us. And it's within our power to change it. Simply by empowering ourselves with the knowledge and changing the things that we have been doing so that we can achieve a different result. It's understanding that Financial literacy is the basis on which financial freedom or financial growth is built. And on the on the on the on top of that financial um, growth comes financial freedom and financial freedom buys you a lot of other things. Luxuries like pursuing your purpose, luxuries like pursuing your hobbies, luxuries like buying, buying um services so that you have time to do what is important to you. It also fortifies your confidence in engaging with other people, in engaging with your employer. It it empowers you to be your fullest self, the fullest version of yourself. This is why understanding your money, growing your money, and being secure in the legacy that you're building for yourself in the background is so powerful. Beyond today, it allows you to craft a financial legacy for your children and for the generations to follow. It allows you to lead by example, but it also allows you to empower them to stand on your shoulders and reach higher than than you could ever have done. And finally, it allows you to, from there, step towards teaching your children and the children that that come after that, your great-grandchildren, what it looks like 
to change the trajectory of a generation because it would be an absolute lie to tell yourself that it's not about the money. It's about the money. The money matters a lot. It is simply not only about the money. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Dirty Chai with me, your host, Chio. I hope that this episode has been useful. I hope that it's been thought-provoking. And I hope that it inspires you to look a little bit deeper into the subject, to get a little bit more comfortable with the subject, if you're not already comfortable with the subject, and to grow with me, no matter how late, as we figure out this life thing. Because holistic personal and professional success can be for everybody. It's for us to take. Thank you. Oh, and before I go, if you like the podcast, please like, share, subscribe, leave a rating. Every single comment, every rating, every share contributes to the visibility of the podcast. And I truly appreciate everybody who takes a moment to reach out and let me know that they've listened and that something has been particularly useful to them because speaking to a mic by myself in my lounge at my house sometimes feels a little bit crazy <laughs> it sometimes feels a little bit crazy and hearing back just says to me you're not crazy this is all for something thank you so much <laughs>